morning. Thank you all for leading us this morning as we come here to worship God. Thank you all so much for your hard work. I want to thank everyone who came out to support and uh, help with the Ranch Rodeo this last Sunday. Um, as always, our, our, our arena team and, and all those involved did a great job putting that together and uh, facilitating that event. And thank you all for supporting um, what I believe is our greatest evangelistic ministry and one of the greatest opportunities we have to reach our culture with the gospel. So thank you all for coming and being a part of that. Two more things quickly. Um, don't forget that Leanne Hart um, is going to be here um, next weekend, October the 7th. And uh, this is for the ladies' ministry. So Leanne Hart, obviously, is going to be here and some others. Um, you're supposed to RSVP this to Patsy Mayo if you're coming. Um, or we're going to have lots of extra food to eat uh, the next Sunday. Um, so anyway, make sure you ladies have this on your, your uh, calendar for next uh, Saturday. It'll start at 9 a.m. till 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon, and that's going to be the Boots and Hills for Jesus Women Conference. So if you guys, I think back there at the buyer-seller window too, Miss Patsy, I don't see her right here, you can sign up back there for your RSVP. Um, one other thing I do want to mention or two actually is don't forget we're doing truck, truck or treat again this year, the 28th of October, and sign up for that to the buyer-seller as well. And then just for you all to know as we move forward with our student ministries building, um, and we're moving forward with that, uh, we're actually going to be hiring a student ministries pastor. So if any of you know, we're currently taking the, ap the applications for that, if you currently know of anybody who's of the cowboy culture, um, who has a heart and a call to reach youth and uh, college students with the gospel of Jesus Christ, be sure and let them know about that, and they can get on our website, or the American Fellowship of Cowboy Churches also has our information there, and get that into our office. So just making you aware of those few things. I'm glad you all are here this morning. How about all this good rain, huh? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I don't want to hear anybody ever whine about rain. God has been so good to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today, and Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, Lord, I know that uh, we have come expecting, Lord, to hear from you today. And Father, we get to do this together as just a group of believers that, uh, that come together, Lord, and, and are excited about you and what you're doing in our life. And, and Lord, for many of us, Father... Uh, we are just so thankful that we can actually open your word this morning, and we ask your Holy Spirit to be the teacher today, Father, that we would simply, God, have eyes and ears, Lord, to see and hear, and then, Father, that you would help us by your Spirit to do the things, Father, that you show us in our own lives. If there's anyone here this morning, as we pray every single week, that has never trusted in Christ Jesus alone for their salvation, that, Father, we pray by your grace and mercy that you would reach out to them and they would come to know the King of glory and they would know what it means to belong to Christ. And we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I hope you brought some of your uh, writing utensils and some paper to follow along here. And as I mentioned before, we are simply going to prowl through the pages here of Romans. We are not going to run at a, at a lope or a trot. We are going to go slow through the pages of Romans. And there's a reason that we're doing that. As you have already found out, the first few weeks that we've been studying Romans... There's a whole lot in a few words. And um, so we are going to literally prowl through these pages as we learn some amazing truths that the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote 
this letter to the church of Rome, whom he had never been to yet, but desired to go to for some time. The Apostle Paul did get to go to Rome, by the way, but he didn't go the way that I think he thought he would go. He went as a prisoner to Rome. That's how he went to Rome. He went to Rome in chains. I know that probably wasn't his design, but God's design is perfect. And as we continue with our study here in the book of Romans, we are once again not going to make it very far out of the round pen today. We are just getting a good start, but our, hopefully our horse is really um, is shooed up good and is ready to take some fertile and some very stable steps as we move forward. Um, and it's not uncertain ground. It's actually good riding, but, but there's some deep, deep things here that Paul is issuing and teaching us right here at the very beginning of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to continue on where we left last week. And let's read here what the Word of God has to say. Starting in verse 1, I'm actually going to read through six verses this morning. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith in his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul, as you remember, starting off there with the very beginning of his letter to Rome, a people, as we mentioned a few moments ago, that he had never met. We did learn in the very first message of this that those in, in um, Rome that had started the church there, um, actually the Rome didn't start in church, it actually happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, but those from Rome were present there as they came from all over the world there at Pentecost to celebrate one of the great feasts. And the disciples, by the power of the Holy Spirit coming on them, the promised Holy Spirit, spoke in their languages. In other words, they understood in their own language the gospel as it was being presented to them. And they left there, went back to Rome, and we know that the church, in, that church began there. A group of believers, as small as it may have been or had grown to at this time, um, were faithfully meeting there and were actually a part of the body of Christ. So Paul had wanted to go there, we know this from his writing here in, the, in chapter 1, but hadn't had the opportunity to go there yet, and thank God that he didn't, because we would not have had this amazing letter to the church of Rome that we know to be one of the, the most profound books of Christian doctrine for, for us in our Christian faith. And so Paul simply starts off, as we remember the first time, Paul a servant, which actually is translated there, bond slave, or slave of Christ. Paul wants these people to know who he is, and what authority he's writing. So the first thing he wanted them to know is who he was. Then he, he's wanting to know what he was. And then today we're going to find out why he was writing this gospel to the church at Rome. And um, the first one was that he was a slave. He was a slave of Christ. And he didn't say this in a derogatory way. Paul the Apostle said this with all kinds of joy and um, enthusiasm as he's sharing with them the amazing grace to be called a slave of Christ a slave of righteousness, 
Paul knew all what it meant too well to be a slave to sin, but now he knows because of what Christ Jesus did for him on the road to Damascus in his salvation experience, what it truly meant now to be a slave of Christ, not only a slave as you might think about, but a willing, wanting, desiring individual serving the Lord Jesus Christ and what God has called him to. And he's not only a slave, but he's also a son of God. He's also a joint heir with Christ Jesus. He's also um, got every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. Paul here has an unbelievable um, gospel that he's sharing with those in Rome and wants them to know what this gospel truly is all about. And then he moves on to a called apostle or an apostle called by God. And so we learned last week why this is so important because Paul spent so much of his ministry, and you can read it in nearly every letter he wrote, that he's defending his apostleship. And why is that so significant for us today in 2017? We learned that in order for someone to be an apostle, there was a litmus test of four things, and I hope some of you remember some of those, of what was required for someone to actually have the position of apostolic ministry within the New Testament. And we learned this. The first one was that they had to literally see Christ with their very own eyes, the the resurrected Savior. They had to have seen Christ as the resurrected Savior to give proof and evidence and validation to the fact that Jesus Christ truly resurrected from the dead, which is what God said he would do and which is the foundation of our Christian faith. Many men have died all in the name of religion, but only one has been resurrected from the dead, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so the first thing was they had to have been called by Christ himself. Do you all remember the second thing? They had to literally have been um, um, called by Christ through his mouth. They had to have the calling where Jesus Christ physically, literally called them. Not only did they see him with their eyes resurrection-wise, but he called them to this apostolic ministry, the specific calling where he had the 12 from the many disciples and gives their names. And then we know that we have Paul the apostle called by God. We went through all that last week. The third thing was they had to have been personally, not handed down through tradition, not taught by some other man. They had to personally have been taught by Jesus Christ himself the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had to have been. That was one of the requirements to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also learned lastly that they were given authority to do miraculous signs and wonders and to cast out evil spirits and so on and so forth. And we know that every single apostle, including the apostle Paul, all had every one of these four requirements were met through these men and their calling, their seeing, their teaching, and also the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do signs, wonders, and miracles. And you say, well, John, what was the big deal? We talked about this last week because in Revelation chapter 2, we learned this. The church in Ephesus was commended for the fact that they had actually tested those who claimed to have been apostles, but in fact were not. They were liars, the Bible says, through Christ as he's given the revelation to John to write the letter to the church of Ephesus. So early on in the early church, we learned that even during Paul's time, there were many who claimed, by the way, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm part of the apostolic ministry. And they were nothing more than a sham. That's all they were. They dressed the part. They had the right hat. They had the right boots. They wore the right jeans. They rolled them up at the bottom. They had the right buckle. They had it all, but they were a sham. They weren't the deal. Okay, that's what they were. And so 
How does that matter for us today in 2017? Because there still is in this day those who claim to be part of the apostolic succession ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and his small group of apostles that ended with Paul. They still claim today that they have succeeded in a succession line from Peter himself all the way down to where they are. But we know according to the word of God in the litmus test of what the requirement was for an apostle, we know that that's not the case today, that it's not true, that the reason the apostles were needed and that position in that office was so critical and so important was because as you know, the church there in Rome, the little new body of believers there, did not have the New Testament that they would read. They had the Old Testament that they were studying, but the New Testament had not yet been written. And so in order that we would have the canon of Scripture, the complete total totalitarian of the Word of God, God elected to have a few men that he actually taught, that he actually were, were re- witness to his resurrection, that were actually given power, that were actually called by him to a specific purpose, that they might write the gospel of the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ to this amazing gift, this brand new thing that has come in, this gospel to the Gentiles and to everyone who will believe by faith. So they literally spoke for God and they wrote the word of God as if from God himself. So Paul wants them to know, listen, I'm not writing you a personal letter here. I'm not giving you a rundown of who I am as far as my credentials. I'm letting you know, number one, I'm nothing more than the slave of Christ and I am so thankful to be, praise God. Number two, I want you to know more than anything else that I am a called apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I write these doctrines of Christian faith to you, you must know that these do not come from any ordinary man, but they come from no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So you can take these words and you can trust these words, and you can believe these words, and you can live out these words in your life because they are the word of God. And so that's why it was so important. That's why there's no need for the apostolic age today. There is absolutely no need. Why? Because we have the complete totality of the Word of God in 66 books we call the canon of Scripture, and it is done with overcompleted. There is no new revelation, no new written word. If we needed the apostolic age to continue, I have no idea how thick this thing would be, but but trust me, in 2,000 years, there would be a whole lot more things to be written if God was still revealing brand new revelation, but he's not because it was completed with apostles and the doctrine that he wrote for the early church. So that's why it matters today, guys, because there's those that feel like they follow, whether a bishop or whether it might be a pope or whatever it is, and some of you might buck your bridle off at that, but listen, if you study the word of God, do it. Don't believe me. Trust me. You need to read the word of God for yourself and see if what Paul was saying is not true. This is truth. That's what it is. It makes a difference for us today. Very much so. Very important that we understand this. Why? So that we can help others to understand the word of God. It's so important we understand this. And that's why Paul wrote this to the Romans there so that they could understand this amazing gospel that they had been saved to and that they had come to know. In 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to read down here just a little ways in verse 3. Paul reiterates this, and we're going to move through here. Remember, we're prowling along. We're, we're looking for what God has to show us here. So as you ride along with me here, God will show you some things. And you can say, whoa, right there behind that tree, I see her standing there. Uh, I see her. She's right there, and she's got a calf with her. I, I, she's there. You're going to see this. In verse 3, it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 15. Paul's writing here to the church in Corinth, and he writes this. 
for what I received, the gospel. Talking about this gospel. See, Paul's all about the gospel. And you're going to learn out why God, why Paul is so, so passionate about this gospel that you and I have received and that we've learned of. Paul says, for what I received, he says, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, this was the most important thing that I could give is what God had called me to, that I would share this gospel, this truth to you. This is of most importance, and the gospel today is still most important. And there are false gospels out there and many other gospels that say if you do this and do this and try that and climb this and, and fulfill this, then maybe then you'll finally get to God. That's a bunch of baloney because you can't get to God because he's holy and we are sinful fallen men. The only way we can get to God is what John 14, 6 says. Jesus Christ is the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the only way you get to Christ. That's it. And by the way, this is God's gospel, not man's. It's the power of God, not the power of man. That's why this is so important, okay? This is, this is going to be a blast as we go through here, as you can tell. Um, I, I am excited to be doing and being a part of this with you all. Paul says, what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised. It's all about he. It's all about Christ. That he was raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. We know that happened, scripture tells us. Most of whom are still living, Paul says, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, the half-brother of Christ. By the way, Christ did have brothers and sisters. You know that from Scripture. They're half-brothers, yes, because his father was God. Their father was Joseph. Their mother was Mary. This is very important that this stuff is in here. Very important. Why? Because Mary did not maintain her virginity all the way through her life. Mary, the Bible says, Joseph did not know Mary, know her. What does that mean? You know what know means that he wasn't intimate with her until after, it says, the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ. And so um, it's very important that we get these things. And there's lots of other things we can talk about with that, but that's not the message today. And so Paul moves on and says this. He appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, Paul is saying this about himself. He appeared also to me, he says. Jesus appeared to me, and we know he did on the road to Damascus, as to one abnormally born. In other words, Paul says, it was, it was a little different than the other guys. In other words, I came along after the other guys. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. Why does Paul say that? He says, I do not even deserve to be called an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives the answer for that. Paul says, because I persecuted the church of God. We know that was Paul's ambition. He wanted to destroy the church of God. And then on the road to Damascus, he met the resurrected Savior. Then he says this, but listen, but the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was nothing without effect, he says. And by the way, it wasn't a waste of God's grace. And then he goes on and says this, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul says, listen, although I was abnormally born, I wasn't there when the 12 were there, although I was still alive at that time. I was brought in after on the road to Damascus. Why did God do that, you might ask? Why did God just not involve Peter um, and the rest of the 12 and put Paul in there? Why did he not call him instead of Matthew or whoever it might have been? I'll tell you why. 
because Paul here is going to be sharing with us about this grace, this mercy, and this gospel. Now listen to me. Paul himself set out to be a Pharisee. It was his own doing. It was of man and of flesh. But when it came to his salvation, it had absolutely nothing to do with the Apostle Paul. In fact, the Apostle Paul was doing everything he could do to destroy Jesus Christ and his message and his people. That's what Paul was after. So God is going to show us something here through this salvation of the Apostle Paul. He brings him in later. Why does he do this? To show that Paul just didn't say, you know what? I wanted to follow Jesus Christ, and that's what I've been doing since I was five years old. No, that's not the truth. Paul tried to extinguish everything that the church stood for and all that Christ claimed to be and all that Christ was. The apostle Paul did everything within his power that he might extinguish the church of the living Christ. And that's what Paul was after. But then he says, oh, but on the road to Damascus, I was headed there with letters from the, from the high priest to go to every single temple and to find out every little piece of scum out there that have left Judaism and started following Christ in order that I might bring them back in chains, have them thrown in prison, and then ultimately let's just get them out of here and let's kill them. And then, he says, a light from heaven. <laughs> what happened? Wow, Christ Jesus appeared to this man Paul. It wasn't that Paul said, by golly, I tell you what, I pursue Jesus with all I have. Let me tell you what the truth is. This is part of the Christian doctrine that Paul is sharing. If you know Christ Jesus today as your Lord and your Savior, it had nothing to do with you. Nothing. Nothing. It was all the grace and the mercy of sovereign God. That's it. That's it. See, Paul never, ever, ever got over, ever, the magnitude, the immense meaning of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never did. Paul never ceased in his amazement of the grace and of the mercy and the goodness of God in his gospel. He never stopped being utterly, unbelievably, uncontrollably amazed at the goodness of the gospel and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in his life. He never, ever ceased to be amazed. Never did. But I tell you something today as I stand before you as you pastor I, at times, lose my amazement of the magnitude and the immense, unbelievable grace of God that he, at a time in my life, reached out to me and took nothing of what I was, a sinner, didn't even seek God. But God came to me one day, and he drew me to himself, and he showed me of my wretchedness, and he showed me of his amazing grace, and he gave me his righteousness, and he took upon himself my filth, and he made me a child of God, and he saved me not only now, but for all eternity. He has done an amazing thing in my life, and I didn't do one thing to deserve it. That's the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. And as I've been watching the news the last few weeks, and just some of our events that are going on in our world, by the way, there's lots of them. But just in our own country, for example, there's some things that have been happening, and we can, we can bring this up, and I'm not here to, to push your political mindset. But just for example, you know, for those of us who live in this country, we have a thankful heart for the blessing of being an American. 
For if you've gone anywhere else in the world, you know without any question, we live in the most blessed land in this world. You know that. In fact, we are very thankful and we have gratitude in our hearts for the men and the women here who could stand this morning, who have given and who have sacrificed and who have fought for the freedoms that we enjoy this morning. We do. And to be honest with you, when I look at the flag of the United States of America, it does something in my heart because I have family who have spilled blood of their own in foreign lands, and I think about the sacrifice that they made in order that I might be free to stand here this morning and proclaim to you this gospel. So that flag moves me. And I really don't have a hard time when the flag is posted and they've called for a Pledge of Allegiance and they're getting ready to sing the great song of this land. I have no problem standing. I have no problem taking off my hat. I have no problem putting my hand over my heart. I have no problem. Why is that? Because I have so much pride in my own heart for this country and so much gratitude for what it has afforded me as an individual. And I'm so thankful that freedom doesn't come free, that many people have laid the pathway in order that you and I would have the freedoms we have today. So by all means, I have no problem to tell anyone how thankful I am to be an American. But as we can see that there are those that maybe don't hold the same opinion of what we hold true. And you may be of those this morning and that's okay if you are. But I often think of this as God was just dealing with me this week. You know, there's those that when the flag is raised, the national anthem is, is, is to be said on a, world, on a world screen. Instead of simply out of thankfulness and gratitude and a desire to just, I want to tell you men and women who have done what you've done, I stand here today blessed and I'm thankful for that. And I give allegiance to the flag of the United States. There's those that don't have the same opinion and they simply will not stand in that position. It does break my heart when I see that. Maybe stirs something up inside my soul. Maybe it makes me a little frustrated. And I'm not here to push a political agenda here because that's not what this is about. Follow along with me before you leave. And then I think about this as God spoke to my heart. Oh, John, there is one that has offered you far greater freedom than living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. There is one that has paid far higher price than all the blood that's been spilled for the freedoms of the red, white, and the blue. There is one who has been from the very beginning of time, who is everlasting to everlasting, who from the foundation of the world, before it ever began, this God, out of the magnitude of his grace, his mercy, and his love, knew that you, John, would need someone to set you free from the slavery of sin that you lived in your life. And because of who you are and what you are, he looked down through the quarters of all eternity, and he set his affection on you. And he said, I will go, Jesus Christ said. I'll go. I'll pay the price. I will give my life as a substitute sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. The great love that we that we have. Yes, we have love for country and for brother and those that have given the greatest sacrifice did it because of their love for our country. But I'm telling you something, John, you have someone far greater, someone who did the most amazing thing of all, that he, Jesus Christ himself, the very eternal son of God came and took your place and let his blood flow in order that you would not have to die the sinner's death. He lived that sin, died that death in order that you could be resurrected from the dead, have his righteousness 
righteousness and know what it means to be a child of God, adopted into his family, belonging to the King of glory. That is what Jesus Christ has done for me, and I didn't deserve it, didn't earn it, didn't even chase after it. This God, sovereign God, did that for me. And John, how often do you take a knee when you should be standing for the King of glory? That clap was probably because, see, that's true. How often am I on the sideline? And I'm, I'm kneeing when the, the banner of Jesus is held. How often am I in the sideline when the praise of my God ought to be lifted up? How often am I kneeling down? when I ought to be standing and shouting from the rooftops this unbelievable, amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Paul moves on to the first phrase here. Set apart for the gospel of God. It's the third thing. Set apart. This word set apart literally means that. It means that to be marked off by boundaries. Paul was marked off for a certain purpose. Kind of like a pasture you put fence around. It's got a purpose. It's got boundaries. Paul himself was separated out for a certain purpose. And he wants those people in Rome to understand that what I'm writing to you is not just a personal get well letter. This is something that comes from God. Why I'm a slave of his. Number two, I've been called as an apostle of his. And the third thing I want you to know about this, Paul says, I have been set apart for one thing and one thing only. And that is the gospel of God. Listen, I want to make this clear to you. Paul is going to share with us in these first few sentences about four or five Christian doctrines in just the first sentence or two. And if we gallop down through the pasture of the pages of Scripture, we will never see what God intended for us to see. We've got to prowl here. Why is Christian doctrine so important? Because if we don't know what Christian doctrine is, we'll be swept away by all kinds of teaching and things that are not true. So Paul here says, first and foremost, you need to understand something. This gospel is not my gospel, Paul says. It's not man-made gospel. I wasn't receiving this from some other one of the apostles or, or from somebody else who taught me. No, the Lord Jesus Christ himself taught me this. This is his gospel, he says. But it's the gospel of God. And gospel simply means this, the good news. The good news. Makes me think of what Paul says in 116. We're going to be there soon. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe. The gospel that he's not ashamed of is not the gospel of man crawling their way to God. It is the gospel of God doing all he could do to get to you. That's the gospel. Let me ask you a personal question that I've had to answer and already revealed the answer to you this week. Have you lost the glory of the gospel? See, I fear in American Christianity, we've heard this word gospel so many times, it doesn't mean any more than a peanut butter sandwich to most of us. Have you lost the glory and the splendor and the majesty 
of your salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only you can answer that. We know that Paul was called by God, obviously. I won't have to get into that. We were there last week. We have to remember this, that Paul writes that he did not choose God, but that God chose him, and we understand that. He writes that in the very, very uh, chapter to the the church of Galatians in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb, think about this, you need to grasp this. He is going to share with you of the sovereignty of God. That's a doctrine of the Christian faith, that God is sovereign over all his creation, over all the rulers, over all people, over everything. God is sovereign in complete control. And Paul is going to show you this. He said, I was set apart by the, for the gospel of God. He says here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, but when God who set me apart from when? Not on the road to Damascus, but when, he says, While I was in my mother's womb, it says. Is that not amazing? And he called me by his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles. Paul says, listen, he didn't call me on the road to Damascus. It was already done while I was in my mother's womb. In fact, you're going to realize it was done before the foundation of the world. Because God is sovereign. That's who God is. Paul's telling those in Rome he is not writing on his own, but he is set apart and commissioned by God himself. We also learn about this whole doctrine, this doctrine he's moving into now, this doctrine of election. A lot of people want to buck their bridle off when we get to the doctrine of election, but Paul's going to share more about this as we move through Romans. You can get to Ephesians chapter 1. It's a hard time, a hard way to escape this doctrine of election just reading through uh, Ephesians chapter 1. It's amazing what God has done. I want you to get this about your gospel. You need to get this about the gospel of God. This is going to bless you. Jeremiah 1.5, this is the Old Testament now. Writing to the prophet Jeremiah, he's calling him to go now and to preach and to, te- and to tell everyone, the nation of Israel, all these things. This is what it says in Jeremiah 1.5. But I formed, you in, in the wo- I formed you in the womb. I knew you before you were born. I set you apart and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now let me say something about this. There are those that believe that you can't That God is not that personal. He is not that intimate. That God, before the foundation of the world, it says even right here, before Jeremiah was even born, what did God do? He says, while I formed you in the womb of your mother, do you realize that God is that involved in your creation? He says, while I formed you in the womb of your mother, he says, before you were even born, guess what he says? I knew you, Jeremiah. I already knew you. This is the sovereignty of God. Do you know this? And you need to understand this. You're not here as an accident of some relationship. You are here by the sovereignty of Almighty God. That God knew you while you were being formed in the womb, in the dark place that no one saw you're coming to be. God knew you as you were forming in the womb of your mother. And he reminds us that he, although he is an omniscient God, that he is an an unbelievable, unexplainable God. He is so intimately involved in knowing his own that he knew you before you were even born. That's what he's saying here. It's amazing. You thought this was all your idea. It's not your idea. If it was your idea, you'd still be running away from God. But 
When you meet the King of kings and Lord of lords, you'll answer like the disciples did. To whom else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Son of God. Where in the world am I going to go? To Buddha? Am I going to go put a pack of cigarettes and the apple in front of him and my statue and think that I'm worshiping some some green little statue? I'm going to go to Buddha. I'm not going to Buddha. I think I'm going to go into Hinduism and have thousands upon thousands of gods and just select some for myself, some god that's not even real. Am I going to go to Hinduism? No. Am I going to become a Muslim and have Mohammed and all those things? Absolutely not. Why? I'm only going to go to Christ because he's revealed to me who he is like he did Paul, and he has the words of everlasting life. He is the Son of God. Where in the world else would I go? Right? There is nowhere else to go. Let me show you some more of the sovereignty of God. Just quickly, we're going to move down through here. This is one of the amazing doctrines that we would have just thinking eloped over. And right over there in the brush are four pair, and we missed them. Why? Because we're too busy trying to get to the back of the pasture. We got we to gotta prowl this thing. He's already sharing us the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. He's moving into the doctrine of election. Listen to this. This will blow your cap off your head. Listen. That's a good way, by the way. Listen. In verse 16 of chapter 15 in John, you did not choose me, talking to his disciples. Listen. But I chose you, and I appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. His disciples didn't choose him. He chose his disciples. And that's why he says in the prayer in John, I think it's John 17, where he says, Lord, I have lost none that you have given me. I've lost none. Why? Because they belong to me. Right? That's why. In Deuteronomy, let's go to the Old Testament real quick, just so you don't think it's all New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7. Listen to this. This is awesome. The election of God. And we're going to get there in a few chapters. The Lord did not set his affection. Who's he talking to? The nation of Israel. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were a numerous nation, more than other people. For you were the fewest of all people. See, God, in his sovereignty, chose a little tiny group of people starting with Abraham, and he selected a people of his own from all the peoples of the world and said, you, Israel, will be mine. Why would he do that? Because he's sovereign, and he is God. He chose Israel not because they were something special or something great or something grandeur. By the way, he didn't choose you because of something we did so spectacular. He set his affection on them because he chose to do so. It's a doctrine of election. Some of you got your bridle laying on the pasture ground, but that's okay. I've bucked my bridle off many times as I've studied the Word of God. Do you know why? Because some of the things I was taught as I grew up was not right. But God's okay. He'll let me buck as long as I want to buck. And when I make the circle and come back to the pins and I look at his word, guess what? It's still there and it still stands forever. And I still have to look at it and accept it and go on. All right, I'm not going to read Ephesians chapter 1 to you. You can do that on your own time. But it's in there over and over and over again. We learn of the sovereignty of God. 
We learn next, he calls it the gospel of God. That's the sovereign will and work of God. The the second thing that we see as we move down through here, let me just read this briefly. We're nearly finished, so I know it's been a a lot of stuff here today, but please hang with me just for about three more minutes and we will get out of here and we'll get rolling to something else today. But listen to these things. He says right here, set apart for the gospel of God. I want you to see something. He's going to bring in now a very important doctrine. It's the doctrine of a Christ, our Christian faith. It's the doctrine of what? The Trinity. The Trinity. He's going to bring in the Trinity in the first few verses right here off the bat. Listen to this. He says, number one, I was set apart for the gospel of God. Who's God? He's God the Father. That's who he is. Then he moves on and says, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and in his holy scriptures regarding his son. Who's the son? The son is the second person of the Trinity. He is Jesus Christ, the son of God. He brings in now the Trinity. He's got the first one, the second one. Now he's going to bring in the third one here. This is amazing that he would do this. And through the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? It is the Holy Spirit of God. Right here in the first few verses in Romans, he automatically Boom, starts out, and he says, I'm going to share of you of the doctrine, not only of the sovereignty of God, but of the trinity of the Godhead. Right here. Unbelievable. And then he moves on and says this. Was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen, he's also sharing with us in the same verse something very, very important that many people don't get right, and every single major religion in the world have got it wrong, everyone except Christianity. You know why? Because they say that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God. But right here we learn the very, the very doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You say, John, that's a huge word. What does it mean? It means this. As we learn right here in verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. Jesus Christ was fully man. He was. But that's not where where Paul ends. Let me tell you why this is wrong. Because whether it's Buddhism, Mormonism, it don't matter what it is, they're all going to tell you that Jesus Christ was a great teacher, a great prophet, but the Son of God, he was not. But he was. And then Paul goes on and lays this out for us. And then he says this, and through whom the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. Listen, John 1 says it the very same way. Jesus Christ was the son of God before the foundation of the world. He is God and flesh. He was fully God. He didn't just come to be God when the baptism happened by John. He was God from before the foundation of the world. And Jesus Christ is fully man, both That's the incarnation of Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He's already teaching the doctrine of the incarnation of who Christ was. He was fully God and he was fully man. We see the doctrine of the Trinity, one Godhead, three persons. Not three gods, one God, three persons. We see the doctrine of the incarnation. And then we also see the doctrine of the resurrection. The resurrection in verse chapter 1, verse still in 2, 3. And by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the doctrine of the resurrection. Jesus Christ really resurrected from the dead. And then the deity of Christ also, that Jesus Christ is God. He is the Son of God. 
So right here in the first few verses of chapter 1, Paul the Apostle lays out for us the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the incarnation, the doctrine of the resurrection, and we're only in verse 3. Isn't that awesome? Have you lost the awe and the splendor and the glory of the gospel? See, for if we truly, truly grasped it, we would cease to ever glorify Jesus Christ. And when the song starts up and we're going to sing praise to Christ, we couldn't help but just in our hearts worship who he is. And when I get up in the morning and I'm able to watch that sun come up over the horizon and I think about the grace of God and what he's allowed for me in my life through this salvation, when I think about not just the sun coming up and the beauty of his creation, but I can glorify Christ for who he is and what he is in my life. And even when things are going the worst in my life, and everything's gone to pot, and it seems like the whole world is just a wreck in my life. Listen to me. I can still splendor at the glory and the majesty and the goodness of the glory of the salvation of God in my life because of who he is. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I know we covered a lot this morning. Lord, more than anything else, Father, we want to thank you for this salvation. God, as we move forward, we're going to see this amazing salvation played out. Lord, I, I know, Lord God, I'm guilty, Father, of losing, of losing just the, the awe of this amazing gospel. That is the only thing that will change the condition of the human heart, and that is sin. It is the only one that can transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the glorious Son. The gospel is the only power, but it's not the power of man. It's the power of God to bring salvation to a world that is lost and that is misled and that is, that is deceived, God. Only your gospel can bring that about. And Father, for every one of us here, Lord, I pray that we would know and that we would revel and that we would just be in awe of the fact that you chose us to be in Christ and you showed us who you were in order that we might come to know this salvation and what a gift it is. Father, I love you. I thank you for your people that are here. I thank you, Lord, for every person that's here. If there's someone here today, they've been trying to get to you. They thought maybe they would, they would maybe just kind of fix things up with you, God, this morning after a rough weekend. If possibly they just showed up at church today, maybe you might erase what they did last night, God. Father, the truth is, Lord, there's nothing that they can do in and of themselves, not coming to church, not giving money, not, not, not saying a list of, of rep repetitious prayers, not, not coming to me and telling me what they did. None of those things are going to bring them salvation, but only through the blood of Christ, only through this salvation, if they will cry out to you today, understanding where they are and who they are and what they need, and that is they have to have the, the, the salvation that only be found in Christ. If they do not have him, they are at forever lost lost in their own sin and their depravity. And Lord, there's no other way but through Christ. 
That, Father, by your grace and mercy, just like you did Paul on the road to Damascus, you've met them here this morning. They thought they came here on their own, in their own fruition. But, God, today you're calling their name. And, Lord, I pray today if they turn to you, that, Father, you will save them and make them a child of the living King. And they will come to know this glorious salvation that's only found in Jesus Christ. Father, I love you. Thank you for all these awesome people in our church, Lord. Thank you for our ministry here. Lord, as we fast and pray this month, the month of October, as we fast and pray for our arena, as we look forward to the future of what you've called us to do, God, I pray that we'd be fasting and praying for you, God, to do what only you can do, not what we can do, but what you can accomplish. Father, thank you for all that you do. Go with us from this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Have an awesome day.